In Luke, the 10th chapter, you read the very familiar story that most of us know about the Good Samaritan, a story about a man who left uh, the mountains where Jerusalem is and started down that serpentine road down to the Jadarian wilderness where the little town of Jericho was. And on that Jericho road, he fell among thieves, and they beat him, and they left him for dead. And uh, Jesus tells a story that there's a priest, and I assume that he's going from Jericho back to Jerusalem because he's in a big hurry because of the work that he has to do in Jerusalem. And he sees the man on the side of the road, but because he's so busy, he passes by on the other side. And then a Levite comes, and Levi is a helper of the priest, and no doubt he also was headed for Jerusalem to work there, and he passed where the man had fallen among the thieves, and he too passed on the other side. And then Jesus tells a story that a Samaritan, uh, one who would be an enemy of the man who had fallen among the thieves, stopped, and he not only rendered aid and uh, bound up his wounds, but he put him on his donkey, and he took him to town, and he put him in an inn, and he paid for his care, and he said, if there's any expenses that are not covered when I come back through here, I will pay the remainder of it. And then after telling that story, Jesus asked the question, he said, who showed mercy to the man, or who showed mercy to him? And they said it was the one that stopped and helped him. It was the Samaritan. And here's what Jesus said. He said, go and do the same. Yes, the good Samaritan stopped and he helped the person because he cared. But he also stopped and he helped the person because he had time to do so. He took care of his expenses because he cared. But he also took care of his expenses because he had the money to do so. In a word, the Good Samaritan showed mercy because he had margin. I didn't realize until this last week that this story of the Good Samaritan is in the same chapter of the story of Mary and Martha where we began this series two weeks ago. Jesus tells a story to a crowd and then he goes immediately to the home of Mary and Martha. And if you were here two weeks ago, you heard Micah teach on that passage where Mary and Martha are hosting Jesus in their home and Martha's so busy in the kitchen trying to impress Jesus with a meal, trying to do something for Jesus that she misses the opportunity to be with Jesus. And she comes in and she chides Jesus and says, tell my sister Mary to get up and to come into the kitchen and help me. And in, in uh, Luke, that same chapter, Luke the 10th chapter, verse 41, we read what Jesus said. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. And then last week, we continued to talk about margin. We talked about how do we get margin. And we looked at some biblical principles out of Ephesians where we talked about the fact that if we're going to get rid of the clutter in our life, if we're going to have time for the things that really matter, there's three things that we have to pay attention to. One of the things that we have to pay attention to is the rhythm of life that God has designed into our very being. Uh, an oscillation where we expend energy, but then we must then renew our energy. And if we're not paying attention to that, what we find ourselves doing is we find ourselves going all the time and trying to accomplish and trying to be productive and what ends up happening is we run out of gas. 
And we need to make sure that there are regular rituals of renewal in our life if we're going to have the margin to do what God has called us to do. But we're not only to pay attention to the rhythm of life, but we're also to pay attention to the particular season that we're in at any given time. Because there are, are, are seasons of life. Seasons change. And every season is not the same. And each season demands a different response. And we're to take the fulcrum of our life and we're to move it in one direction or another, whether it's toward being productive or, or replenishing our souls or toward work or toward family. We better know what season that we're in. Uh, we, we, uh, if we don't, what we do is we carry the expectations of the last season into the new season. And we cannot do them both. If we're not careful, what we do is we don't seize the opportunities that are unique in each and every season. When you have preschoolers in your home and you have young children, that's a season of life. You better move the fulcrum of your life toward those little ones. And so many times there's a conflict because many times that's when we're beginning a business or when we're beginning a job. And we're tempted to, uh, with the immediate feedback that we get from those things to move the fulcrum, to, uh, to try to provide balance in our life toward our work. And that's a season where those relationships have to be paramount because there will come a time when there will not be those times. Those kids grow up and you never have that opportunity to read that story or to look at that drawing again. And, and also in those times of the season, what happens is many times we are to anticipate the future. If this is a, a, a time, a season of plenty, we need to anticipate the, the fact that there will come a season where there won't be plenty. And we better save back for those times. And if we're in a time of want, we can have hope that we'll not always have to have a draconian measures that we live by at this time forever. There is a season change that is coming. But as we pay attention to the rhythm of life that God has designed into the very, uh, our, our very beings, and if we uh, realize the season that we're in, the most important thing that we have to pay attention to is the will of God. And as the will of God and our relationship with God and the values of God and the word of God become center to our life, the gravitational pull of that relationship allows all the other planets to be in their proper orbit and place. And we need that central guiding measure in our life or we will beckon to the many different voices that are calling us and we will find our life out of balance and we'll find ourselves with no margin to care about what God cares about. Because you see, this is really the issue, friends. We, we, we seek margin as followers of Christ, not because it means we'll be more comfortable. It's not that we seek margin so that we will have less stress. But we seek margins as followers of God because it is in the margins that the things that God cares most about flourish. As a homeowner and uh, one who tries to care for his lawn, one of the things that I've learned, one of the small lessons, is that there are some plants that demand full sun. And if you put those plants next to the house, if you put them where there are a lot of trees, they will not flourish. And there are some things in our life that will flourish with full margin. And they happen to be the things that God cares about the most. God cares about relationships. God cares about mercy. In Micah, the sixth chapter, in verse eight, it says this. 
what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Who showed mercy to the man who fell among the thieves? The one with margin. That's the one. As I thought about these passages this week, I thought about some other passages in the New Testament that speak to this directly. And there are passages that we've looked at within the last 12 months. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But I was amazed to what extent these passages spoke of margin. And I, I had never seen margin in these passages before. In 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter in verse 6, it says this. Now I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. And he who sows, sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, don't miss this margin. Verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Friends, that's a verse on margin. I've always seen that as a verse on giving, but it's a verse on margin. God makes sure that we have enough seed to sow in the places that he cares about, in the relationships of our lives, and in showing mercy to others. You will have sufficiency in everything. You may have an abundance. Does that describe your life? For every good deed. And then look down in verse 10. It says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And you will be enriched in everything for all liberality which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. And once again, as we stated when we looked at this passage earlier than this year, uh, this passage has been taken and perverted by some to say, if you'll sow, sow a seed of generosity, if you'll sow a seed of giving to God's ministry, then you will be rich and you will be comfortable and you will enjoy life more. That's a perversion of this passage. That's not what this passage says. This passage says that we, the, the one who provides the seed, which is God himself, who's a source of all good things, will provide enough seed that you can have bread, you can have your needs met. And that if you will sow a seed, what will happen is God will make sure that you have more seed to sow. He'll give you more time to give away. He'll give you more money to give away. He'll give you more talent to give away. He'll give you more influence to leverage for his kingdom. It says that he will increase the harvest of your righteousness. God wants to give us margin not so we can be selfish and so we can spend it on ourselves. He wants to give us margin so that we can invest it in the things that God cares about. In Matthew, the sixth chapter, in verse 19, it says this. It says, do not store up treasure for yourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, don't miss this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What God really cares about is God cares about where our heart is. It's not about our treasure. It's about our heart. 
But God knows that if we invest in ourselves and if we invest in selfishness and we hoard and we keep, that our heart is not where God's heart is. And God wants our treasure, he wants our time, and he wants our talent. He wants the influence that we have garnered to be invested in those things that he cares about because he knows that's where our heart will be. When I read this passage again, do not store up treasure for yourself uh, where it can be corrupted, where it can be taken away quickly. I thought about our recent tornadoes and about the things that people had bought and amassed and everything. And in a moment of time, it was all gone. It was all exposed. It was gone. I thought about our people and how our people gathered for Christmas Eve services before that tornado. And I ask you to give generously to a compassion offering to help people in this local community when there are needs that were there. And then I put that together in my mind with what happened to our stock market this last week. People had their money in the stock market, lost it. People who had their, their stuff in stuff, it disappeared. But those who gave generously to that compassion offering, that was multiplied time and time again because that went somewhere God's heart was. There's so many great stories that have come out of the tragedy that has taken place. God continues to redeem it. One of the stories that I heard uh, day before yesterday was about a young family who came here to one of our Christmas Eve services. And they've been going through a tough time with medical bills that have piled up. And one of the families in our church, their company adopted them for Christmas. They took gifts for the child that they have in their home and they took food. And part of what they did is they also gave them some money that young family came to one of our Christmas Eve services and I asked for people to give generously to the compassion offering. And that young man who had just been blessed by someone else had that money in his pocket that had been given to him and his family to help them out. And he thought to himself, I can do something. I can't do a lot, but I can do something. And he took some of the money that had just been given to him and he put in the offering plate for the compassion offering. He went home and several days later that tornado came and it tore through his neighborhood. And in the middle of the night, they weren't hit as bad as some of their neighbors, but there was damage that was there. And they didn't know how much damage because it was dark. But they lost all of their electricity, so they went to stay with some relatives in town. And the next morning, on a Sunday morning, they drove back into their neighborhood to see what had happened to their home. And as they drove into the neighborhood, right in front of them, driving down their neighborhood before they could get into their neighborhood, was a disaster relief truck from Lake Point Church. And one of the family members remarked, that was a good investment that you made the other night. <laughs> Can't outgive God. And when you put your heart, most importantly, where God's heart is, that's what changes us, and that's what gives us life, and that's what gives us meaning. When you came in today, you received a little brochure, and I want you just to pull it out right now. And again, we're not going to have you turn this in today because this information is not important for us, it's important for you. And if you look inside of it, what it says at the very top, it says 2016 Lake Point Church Investment Guide. And I want to just encourage you as followers of Christ and as members of Lake Point Church, or perhaps you're not a member yet, but this is what you consider your church home, is to consider how you might invest your margin this calendar year. And we want to encourage you to invest in at least five areas as we begin the years. Now let me just give you a quick riddle here. What is uh, worth a whole lot, it's a, worth a fortune, 
but 24 hours later is fairly worthless. That would be the business section with the stock market one day before the stock market. One day after, it's pretty worthless. If, if you could know where all the stocks were going to land a day before they landed there, that would be pretty valuable information, wouldn't it? But you take that same piece of the newspaper and 24 hours later after it's happened, it's a fairly worthless piece of newspaper. Granted, well, I want to give you some insider information today about what's going to be valuable 100 years from now. In fact, let me just tell you, let me give you some real insider information. In Mark, the 10th chapter, it says, uh, Jesus Christ himself said, anything that you invest in the kingdom of heaven will be returned to you 100-fold in this life and the life to come. Friends, do the math. That's an interest rate of 10,000%. 10,000. Now, last time I looked, the banks aren't giving that. This is a better place to invest your time, your talent, and your influence. Let me just suggest five things. First of all, you know, is to be involved in a, in a study, fellowship, and care in a life group. Friends, we didn't make up life groups. God did. When the very first church in Acts, the second chapter, met, 3,000 people were saved on the very first day. And then it says in verse 42 that they broke bread together in small groups in houses, and they prayed together, and they studied the apostles' teaching. Those were the first life groups. And God knows the only way that you're gonna grow spiritually is if you'll get with a smaller group of Christians that you meet with on a regular basis and you study the scriptures together. And I realize that some of you are afraid to do that because you're afraid, some of you are introverts, and for you to walk into a classroom of 20 or 24 people that you don't know, that's a frightening experience for you. We understand that. And I wish I could take that pain away from you, but here's what I can do. I can't do that, but I can do this. I can say that whatever pain you go through to walk in there and to get to know those people is worth it. You may be afraid that someone's gonna ask you to answer a question. We will not do that to you. You might be afraid that someone's gonna ask you to pray out loud, and we're not gonna do that to you. You might be afraid that someone's gonna ask you to read a passage and you don't like to read in public. We're not gonna do any of that to you. You can go in there and you can sit quietly and you can be as interactive as you want as you get to know those people. The important thing is that you're in a small group of believers and you're not only studying God's word together, you're doing God's word together. It's God's plan. And I wanna encourage some of you to take one hour a week and invest it in relationships. It's what I call relational stewardship. One of the lessons that we learned from the tornadoes were that the people who were helped the quickest and the most effectively were those who were in life groups because there were people in their life who knew immediately that they had this tragedy and they knew exactly what their needs were and there was a trust factor that was involved that allowed generosity to flow. Now some of you have family in this area. Some of you have close Christian friends and so you don't feel as great of a need to be in a life group to be cared for. And what I want to say to you is it's not just about you. It's about you being put in a place not only to be cared for physically, emotionally, and spiritually, but it's about you being in a place so that you can care for others who don't have the support group that you have. And so I want to encourage you as we leave today to go out into the foyer and there's a booth there about life groups and find some options and go around and visit 
those different life groups. We have all kinds of life groups. We have life groups for empty nesters and life groups for people who have small children and people who don't have children and uh, folks who have dogs and those who have cats. We have all kinds of life groups. Visit around until you find one that fits you and then stay there until Jesus returns, all right? Second of all, to establish a regular time of personal prayer and Bible study. You know what we uh, encourage you to do around here is to shoot for seven. If you hit five, consider it a success. To take 15 minutes of your day and to read one chapter of God's word and then pray about it. To keep a little notebook there to capture your questions that you can bring to your life group and ask about that's something you don't understand in the word. Or to capture a to-do list in your own life of things that you want to change or insights that provides wisdom for your living. So what I want to encourage you to do right now is just take a pen and write down when do you have your quiet time? Is it every morning at 6 a.m.? Is it because you have preschoolers and that would be impossible every night after you put them down for bed about 8 p.m.? But if you don't have a time there, you're probably not doing it. If you have a time alone with God as a catch as catch can, it usually doesn't happen. Then that third area, to use my abilities to serve in a ministry. And then just write down right now your ministry if you know what it is. And, and we encourage you not to have five or six ministries, but to have one at the most two that you drill down deep into. And, and the truth is, is the best way to find a meaningful ministry is to visit the ministry booths that we have today at our campus and at all of our campuses and to ask questions about the skills that are needed, about the time requirements uh, related to that. So if you came in a little bit later and you didn't hear, we have ministry booths in the auditorium here. We have some others outside. Every single ministry booth has a map that tells all the different ministries we have. And you can go to the very first booth, pick up that map, and then go directly to the ones that you're interested in and find out if that's the ministry for you. And then we want you to try it out. And if it doesn't fit, return it. Nobody's going to get mad at you if you sign up to be an usher and then you find out that you have to be an extrovert to be an usher and you hate people. <laughs> Listen, if you volunteer to be an usher and you find out you're really bad at ushing, please quit. Please. And nobody's going to be concerned about that. That's the only way I know that you find your ministry is to try. It's like finding a good doctor or finding a good barber. You got to try and, and, and then eventually, again, you'll find that ministry that you were made for and you will change other people's lives because of your service and because you're investing your time and your talent. Look at that next one, to pray for and to invite others to come hear about God's love. You can fill that out right now. You know three people who, as far as you know, do not know Christ. And the commitment here, the investment here is every single day to pray for those individuals. Now when it comes to having a regular Bible study, we say shoot for seven, hit five. In other words, we allow for some things to happen in this life where you don't have your quiet time a couple times a week, but this is a seven days a week, 365 days out of the year commitment because you can pray for and stay sensitive to the opportunities to witness to and when show, someone shows any interest at all in spiritual things, invite them to Lake Point. Now, here's what I know. I know that you won't keep that commitment unless you take those three names and you rewrite them on something in your house where you put it where you see it every day. If you don't see it every day, you won't keep the commitment. 
Don't put it in a drawer. Don't put it in your purse. You won't keep the commitment. Put it on that mirror where you put makeup on every day and where you shave. If you don't want to put it there on your mirror because it messes up the decor of your bathroom, put it next to your toilet because I figure you'll be there at least once a day as well. But put it where you can keep that commitment. And here's what happens. When you begin to pray for three people by name, all of a sudden the game changes because all of a sudden now the Holy Spirit has you on high alert and when something happens in their life where you can have an opportunity to say a positive word about God or Jesus, not preach at them, not do a long presentation, just that drip irrigation. And then one day they'll show interest and when they show interest you can say, you know, I don't know all the answers, but I know a place where there are answers. Come with me. Have you found a church home? Come to me with my, to my church to invite them. And then last of all, to financially support the ministries of Lake Point in a God-honoring way. And there's an opportunity for you to make a decision. To make a decision about what you're going to do on a regular basis. See, we never give significant gifts accidentally. And you notice something around here, we don't make a big deal about the offering and we don't tell long emotional stories to get you to try to give more. And if you're gonna give as God wants you to give, you've gotta be intentional. The passage that we read a moment ago from uh, 2 Corinthians the ninth chapter says, give as you have purposed in your heart. So the first thing you've gotta decide is when you're gonna give. Most of us are gonna give as God blesses us. If we get paid twice a month, we're gonna give twice a month. If we get paid once a month, we're gonna give once a month. But the second thing we've gotta decide is how much are we gonna give? And the Bible teaches that we're to give proportionally. In other words, if God has blessed us a lot, we ought to give more than everybody else. And if God has just blessed us a little, then we ought to just give a little. And if God has not blessed us financially at all, we're totally off the hook, all right? (laughs) Pretty fair, huh? But what is that for you? Is that 2%, is that 4%, is that 5%? I really believe that God is moving all of us toward threshold giving, what the Bible calls a tithe, which is 10% of our income. And then God, as God blesses us in a way that he has not blessed for whatever reason, most of this world, as the richest people in the world, that we're to give beyond that to other things. That's why we've given the opportunity to give to Impact 2020. And those are gifts above and beyond the normal gifts to the church to support some special projects that we're doing over the next four years, and many of you know about those things and have already committed yourself. This is not asking for a new gift. This is just saying, and I've already committed to give $100 a month to Impact 2020 as well as my normal gifts to the church, and you just fill it in. And then to consider that other to say, and as God moves in my life and as the Holy Spirit touches me to to bless others, that I would do that. Uh, We had a great story uh, that came out of the tornado uh, several weeks ago. Uh, Steve Radney, who's in charge of our uh, efforts and all of this and coordinating everything, uh, shortly after we had sent uh, about 500 people into the neighborhood on one day, uh, he got a phone call from a guy who headed up a motorcycle group. And he said, uh, somebody gonna be at the church today? And we were open uh, at unusual hours because people were coming to get aid and people were being sent out. And they said, sure, come on by. And this guy drove up with his motorcycle group. There were several motorcycles in a row. And kind of a gruff fella, he came up to Steve and he, and he handed Steve a wad of bills it t- told out to be over $600. And he said, I just want to give this. He said, I don't know much about church. But he said, uh, what I know is that when this tornado hit, that you guys were the first people there to help my sister. And you didn't know my sister. My sister doesn't go to your church. But I just wanted to help the people 
who were helping my sister. There's a wonderful scripture there in 2 Corinthians 9th chapter that says this is your generosity, your investments are not only fully meeting the needs of the saints, but it's also providing thanksgiving to God. And that's what happens when we get margin in our life and we're able to share mercy. And when we share mercy, not only are needs being met, but God and his kingdom is glorified. When our hearts get where his heart is, and the only way our heart will be where his heart is is if our treasure is there also. And treasure is so much more than our money. It is our attention. It is the influence that God has given us. It is the giftedness and the time that we have. Sometimes it's a listening ear. Sometimes it's a, a creative effort out of the artistry that God has put in our heart. But we invest when we have margin. And that's why margin's important. Let's thank God for that. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be a part, just a small part of what you're doing in this world. Thank you for the resources that you have put in our hands, the days that we have, the relationships that we have, the finances that we have, the talent that we have. We thank you, dear Father, that they're not to be squandered or hoarded on just our efforts or our comfort, but you've given us the high and holy privilege of distributing them in your name for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray all these things, amen.